What am I? What is the relationship between my mind and my body? The mind-body problem is an age-older problem. One of the questions you ask yourself, are your thoughts, feelings, perceptions, sensations, and which things that happen in addition to all the physical process in your brain? Or are they as themselves just some of those physical processes? And what about gut feeling, instant? How we can anticipate uncertainty and predict situations before it happens? Do we understand why that happened to us? So when it comes to design robots or soft robots, one of the questions we can ask, should the brain and the body evolve at the same time? Should it be designed in a supervised way or open-ended way as we have in our nature? What kind of design we should aspire for? Optimal or adaptable? One of the questions we can ask, how do these robots can function at open-ended environment and anticipate the uncertainty? What if there's damage happening to the brain or the body? How they can adapt to each other in this scenario like that? What we are still lacking in designing robots to achieve the embodied intelligence? In this series, we are going to interview researchers from interdisciplinary field to answer these questions and trying to understand what are the missing pieces so that we can achieve embodied intelligence. And what kind of tools or series we need to develop for solving the dilemma of mind-body problem. First of all, we would like to say thank you for Professor Fumia Lida for initiating the International Workshop in Embodied Intelligence, as well as this podcast series idea as a part of the workshop. It was the first time in our field to have such a great event to stitch all the leading researchers and ask the basic questions and what could be the direction for achieving the embodied intelligence. I hope you enjoy listening to this series, and here's the interview. Thank you. Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast and Embodied Intelligence Podcast Series. Hello, Lee. Thanks so much for joining us in the podcast. I would like to ask you first how you'd like to define yourself or the audience who may be the first time listening to you. Um, sure. Um, I'm a bio-inspired uh, software robotics uh, uh, working in, in this area. So I, I build robotics, uh, not only um, can show promising application in uh, applications like marine environments, but also can help to answer some of the biological questions. So I think that's my point of view. Right. So I would like to go for the childhood. We ask every guest about their childhood. How was your childhood being interested in science or technology? Do you have any memories about your childhood? Oh yeah, so I think they'll remember my first robot is a toy. It's not, it can only make some sounds and also you only have a one on and off button. So it's very simple. So I cannot call that a robot, but it's a humanoid. Uh, it looks like a human. So that's my first impression about robotics. And I think that's how robotics shape like. But after a while, you know, when I grow up, I found there are so many types of robotics with diverse morphology. So I think that's very different with my childhood impression. Mm -hmm. Interesting, yeah. So how do you came across soft robotics field? What's the first soft robot you build? How how came across about that field at the beginning? 
Well, I think it's a, that's a very interesting question. I think um, uh, before I build this uh, soft robotics, I work on bi-inspired robotics, especially robotic fish. So the many parts of the fish, like the tails and the muscles are soft. So I, the first, uh, I would say the first of bi-inspired soft robotics is a, is a remora soccer. So it's a, it's a soccer fish which have a very special evolutionary modified suction cup. It's soft. It can stick on uh, many uh, marine hosts and with very strong adhesion force. So I think that's a first uh, soft prototype or software device I built. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's interesting, but may I guess that's cute because I think in the field, we don't have a specific definition for soft robotics. How you would define soft robots? from your experience? What, what could be a most important question these things we have to ask ourselves? Yeah, so I think it's uh, as long as the, uh, the main structure or uh, its sensors or actuators, uh, these kind of key components of robotics are soft or it would be better, you know, stretchable. Um, I think it can be attributed to soft robotics. And on another side is we should like to look at its uh, performance it should be okay with uh, safely interacting with environments such as human or animals, or it can handle unconstructed objects. I think uh, this can be attributed to software bikes. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, so maybe I'm just in that case, what do you think something we still, we don't really consider in the field? Because sometimes we see people, we lack, for example, enough modeling, we lack reproducible methodology. We like this fabrication technique. We like asking this question. What's something you think this is something we didn't consider? Which direction do you think in the field is still, yeah, not fully considering this question or this aspect? Have you ever thought about that? Um, so I think that a lot of people right now are working on software bikes from many, many uh, aspects, you know, sensors, actuators, and also controls, applications. Uh, I think it's uh, because I personally I love collaborating with biologists. So I did not see many studies doing soft robots interacting with live animals. They're interacting with human, you know, that's where. Mm -hmm. But if you think about uh, the robot interacting with, with a live fish, imagine what would happen if you're a soft robot interacting with, uh, with a live fish or with a jellyfish. Um, uh, we can use a software robot to understand its biomechanics. We can use a robot to understand its connective behaviors and or even neuroscience side. So I think that's uh, an area I haven't seen too many papers as software robot mm -hmm. interacting with animals, yeah, not only humans, but animals. So I'm um, curious about that because there's this interesting point about the interaction with the animal or the fish. Mm -hmm. If you can operate more about the design, how you design um, the, the soft systems of trouble in that case, interacting with these objects is dynamically changing because we have, uh, yeah, for example, Herford Chi is designing the, with the team that already adapting to the morphology freely. You don't have to control that. For you, how you can manage to do that for these different creatures, yeah. Well, I think this is a very interesting question because I think we, if I, I think we can start from simple because there are basically not, not too many studies. We can use, a, for example, we can use a very simple robot flopping the water and also put another one fish, a group of fish, like separate fish there 
and see how the uh, how the fish, uh, a single fish kinematics will change when you change the robotic motions or how the group of fish, their connective behavior, their shape of their, 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 uh, their school uh, would change with a robot motion. So you can have a lot of data, you know, simply by putting a robot near animals, you can get a lot of data. And then through this data, you can understand, have a visual understanding of what is the interaction between the animals and the robot. And then you can do some fluid analysis, uh, no matter simulations or experiments to reveal more in-depth understanding. So I think that's, a, uh, that's something you can suggest. Yeah. yeah, and for the understanding how you managed to do that, for example, we speak about simulations still, we have the challenges when it comes to fluid mechanics, for example, and, in, and simulating the environment. So for you, what insight is you can get accurately from simulation or modeling that you can design your system in that case? Okay, so I think um, from the soft robotics itself, I think we have uh, many simulation tools. Uh, for example, we have SOFA or some other simulation tools. But if you put the robots in the environments while interacting with water, when interacting with the, for um, example, some, some other obstacles, uh, that's, I, I think that's, that's more challenging. Um, I think, um, well, considering the fluid uh, simulations we can use like uh, uh, safety simulations. Uh, I think a lot of people are using that. Um, so but I think the soft robots in fluids is still um, uh, require more studies, I think. Yeah. We need more to uh, more study, more papers uh, working on that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I would like to go for your uh, bio-inspired design because I think that's something you really apply in the designing the material and First of all, when you try to get this inspiration for the design, what kind of mm -hmm. system you look for, and what kind of question you ask yourself? When, to, for example, the shark skin, or etc. How this process you manage to do that? To, because sometimes, for example, Professor Mitten sometimes said it's not always necessary to get inspiration. You know, like nature is always not optimum; it's just a result of evolution. So, for you, how you figure out this is maybe work or maybe not work? Worse to be inspired on what kind of questions? You, you will try to ask yourself that you can get this design like shark skin, for example, or other projects you're doing. So I think it's, um, um, yeah, this is a really interesting question. I think um, the, like, sometimes I, I think a curiosity is one main um, motivations is driven um, because all my question is curiosity driven. So the shark skin is, when I do the shark scene projects, it's not closely related to software products. But we found the shark scene is, um, is not only rigid denticles, but rigid denticles embedding to the flexible schemes. So the question jumped out of my head, okay, how do we, uh, what is the, how do we fabricate this kind of stuff? And, and what is the function of that? Especially when it's flopping water, are there any benefits? So when asking this, these very basic questions and and then we figure out that we need to use, okay, multi-material 3D printing to fabricating the shark skin. Uh, okay, we need to um, uh, uh, cover uh, the shark skin onto a softer body animals, a softer body uh, robot, and then flap it, and then we can make in the shark locomotions. So I think it's um, uh, all the questions are curiosity driven, and we hope to understand um, 
how do we kind of fabricate shark skin and what is the performance of the biomimetic shark skin? So mm -hmm. that's yeah. And just ask you in that case, uh, what kind of question you cannot answer uh, when you try to design the system? And it's still hard for you to understand. Or maybe we always see that there's a trade-off in the design. There is always an avoidable trade-off. Yeah, it depends, but there, there is already in the field. For you, did you face any trade-offs and you couldn't even figure out yeah, how you can overcome that or you have to give up on, on certain criteria in your system? Yeah, oh yeah. So we always have this kind of difficulties facing this kind of challenges of trade-off. On one hand, we want to build a very sophisticated soft robotic system that contains all the power electronics and also the controls and, and, and algorithms embedded inside. And on the other side, another side, we want to answer some very fundamental questions that do not require this kind of complex robotics. So we are always trying to find there's a trade-off in the middle. Uh, it's a robot, which is not that comprehensive, but it still have those kind of main features uh, that we can study and we can systematically explore. For example, we just wanna focus on how the shark skin shape can affect this uh, uh, robot's speed. Mm. And then we cannot build a robot that's too complex or you know, hard to control, otherwise, uh, this kind of benefits from the skin will be just covered by other factors, design factors or engineering problems. So I think there's always such kind of uh, a trade-off. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a very interesting point. And I would like to ask about that case about embodied intelligence because now we have different answers from different uh, researchers in the field. And you mentioned, mm -hmm. for example, the shape and uh, and that's something interesting because I know you have been working in, in morphology and geometric also non-neurotic cell. If you can tell us about how you would imagine embodied intelligence in soft robotics and taking into account the shape and the inherent uh, features that you try to exploit from your system. If you can tell us about what is embodied intelligence you think and how it could be deployed in soft robotics, the vision you do have in your mind about that. Well, um... <laughs> Actually, embodied intelligence, this is a really cool word, I think, because the first time I saw this word several years ago, I, the, 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 I think one thing jumped out of my, hand, my head is uh, we have all the uh, highly stretchable, uh, highly flexible and stretchable electronics and also stretchable power all embedded into a, you know, very uh, soft robotic systems while it can still change its shape according to the environments. So that's my impression of embodied intelligence, and especially embodied intelligence for soft robotics. It needs to be all soft. So I think that's a, a embodied intelligence requires a lot of new technologies in fabrication, uh, soft everything. So that's my impression about embodied intelligence from the hardware side. From the software side, I think it's a, we need to study more about the animals. It's because the animals has been you know, involved for millions of years. Uh, a lot of their reaction is, is, is so smart, but we still haven't fully understand it. Sometimes we think that their intelligence is pretty high. For example, like a cockroach, we can, uh, you can go across like a, a very clever environments. We think that our control is complicated, but like Professor Bob Fool has proved that 
they're just using very simple complaint mechanism to you know they can achieve this kind of goal. So I think the control or the complexity of the control should be considered with the mechanical designs of this hardware. Uh, so I think these two things cannot be separated. They can be they should be taken into account at the same time if we consider the embodying calendars. Yeah, and what is maybe your thought about, uh, in, for example, um, it's replacing the control with inherent controlled uh, features. Like if we use a geometric and material, it's like that fish is swimming upstream, that's an example. I, I, yeah, there's a different mm -hmm. explanation. So for you, do you think that the controller um, should be replaced? If we speak about embodied intelligence, we have to design the system in a certain way so that they can produce their inherent controlled displacement or inherent controlled functionalities. Do you think we have to focus on that and replace the external control? Do you think we can do that efficiently or we still have a lot of time to make it an efficient way to have inherent controlled displacement from the system design itself? taking account the morphology and the shape of the of the material well i think this is a really interesting question i think maybe people will need to work on work for years for that this is a, a cool question i think for uh for science like what you said we should embed the intelligence inside of the body and let the robots nerve itself i think that's really cool scientific questions because all animals do in that way but i think maybe for applications or in the you know recent years we don't have to do that we just will make the rule uh, make i think the biggest the challenge we want to solve is robustness i don't think the control for uh, uh current software robotic system is a is a very challenging because as long as our system mechanical system is stable and robust there is always control algorithm can solve that control problems so i think but for science in the in the long run, I think uh, embedding everything, uh, including mm -hmm. intelligence inside of a deforming or shape changing body is a, is a very cool thing we should work on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And what would be kind of challenges do you have with your new research group? What kinds of big questions on the challenge? You have a lot of projects that if you can, yeah, be for the audience to know what kind of projects you're doing, what are the main challenges you still have in the work? Well, I think uh, currently our groups are uh, facing two main challenges. One is how to bring soft robotics into extreme environments. For example, the deep sea uh, is a very challenging, you know, have high stat uh, uh, static water pressure. Um, a lot of the components like the flexible electronics won't work in under that kind of environments. Uh, how to solve uh, the challenges of putting soft devices or software system into extreme environments. Um, what, uh, how to design it, how to fabricate it, and also the mechanics analysis of that. Uh, I think that's one challenge. The second one, uh, one is uh, we haven't fully um, um, combined the, uh, the new flexible structure, mechanical, like uh, mechanical metal materials with um, uh, flexible sensors and uh, flexible electronics because I think they, they there are many new mechanics uh, structure mechanical structures uh, such as metal material um, people studying this for long because a lot of solid mechanists studying the, uh, the behavior mechanical behavior of that. 
but it's not a robot yet because there's no feedbacks, there's no control, there's no closed control. So I think another interesting question is how to combine the large deformation uh, structure with uh, sensors and and also uh, electronics, uh, software electronics, and building to us soft robotic systems. I think that's something we can uh, we're now exploring. That's very interesting. Yeah, I'm just talking in that case about combining the multi-material as well because you, you work out a multi-material, and yes. it's still yeah. If you can tell us about the challenges because in terms of the yeah, how do you design them? What kind of maybe shapes do you have to use in that case? Is it something limitation you figure out? Because we don't have a lot of literature about how we can combine or entangle two material in a certain shape and combining the sensing as well if we have large deformation and like nonlinear geometry in that case and the sensing. If you can tell us about that, how 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 do you imagine at the first step goes hand in hand? Yeah, so I think yeah that's pretty challenging because I think this is an intricate plenary study. I don't think uh, you know, one group um, from, for example, the mechanical engineering can solve these problems. I think they need to collaborate with a mechanist who's working on uh, you know, simulations or computational, computational mechanics and uh, solid mechanics. And also they need to work on uh, collaborate with computer scientists because uh, one thing is designing this kind of a structure requires knowledge of backgrounds for mechanics. Well, how to place sensors on these kind of uh, you know, large deformation structure requires a lot of computations or simulations. I think algorithm or even uh, like uh, machine learning uh, technologies can be applied to optimize the design or placing the sensors on the large deforming bodies to have the best sensing abilities. Uh, I think that's a, that's a challenge uh, we, this kind of this topic phase yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah thank you for sharing that yeah so it calls into a few questions the first one where the direction for example in this work you are doing you said that would work out in a certain way and it, it happened that it was the result was counterintuitive it was surprising because yeah you have a modeling or simulation and you saw that it have to work in a certain way but in reality it was surprising that that wasn't expected at all or that is counterintuitive what we think about how it work. Do you have any scenario like that happen in your work and was surprising result? You didn't expect this result. Mm. Oh, that's a very interesting question. I think um, I think I think I remember the first um, uh, robotic fish I built is, uh, is they have a very rigid tails. It looks very strong. And when we flap it, um, when we hold it in our hands, I think, okay, this can produce a lot of thrust. Maybe the fish will swim very fast. But eventually the result turned out to be, uh, and once we made a series of tails have, which have exactly the same shape, but with different stiffness. But the results uh, show that there's a motorage stiffness that can swim the fastest, even 50% faster than the rigid tails. So I think that's a very striking moment because we think that rigid is powerful while the mm -hmm. soft is weak or less powerful. But the results show that it's opposite. So there's a peak. So when the stiffness go and gradually going up, the speed 
and also efficiency goes up. And then if you keep increasing the stiffness, the speed and also all the thrust force or the efficiency will go down. So I think that's a I think that's a very impressive, especially mm -hmm. in the, my early stage of opinion. Wonderful, yeah. So exactly. I think that's we least us to understand the importance of complainants. Um, this is a very simple example. So that's why you know most of the fish they have uh, very soft tails, at least not completely rigid. Um, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, just asking that case, what kind of meat material when you go for extreme environment that case? I'm curious about the material in that case. How how you managed to design this optimum material you aspire to have to work in this extreme environment like deep ocean or deep sea as well? Because I think that's something also very interesting. How you managed to do that? Well, uh, I think the material is not the biggest challenge as long as the material is uh, non-porous materials. So they do not have porous. Uh, I think they're okay with static water pressure. Um, yeah, I think as the challenge is the structure because here uh, when you go very go down to deep sea, I think that the um, how do you how how do you can make the structure deform? You know, just like robots moving uh, or deforming the air, how to achieve that? So that's a that's a problem. Also, the actuation is a problem. So what kind of actuation is powerful actuation you can use in deep sea? So. I think these are two uh, questions uh, people have to solve if you want to put a software robot in deep sea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. So may I ask you what could be aspiration for your work when it comes to intelligence and your lab as well? What kind of maybe, yeah, the aspiration do you have? Or maybe it's still questions or crazy ideas do you have for, uh, for your work? Okay, body intelligence. Okay, so when you think about this, I, I, I'm not sure whether this is crazy, but uh, think about, let, let's go back to the question you have asked is, uh, what is a, something less understood or less studied in, in this area? It's, uh, robotics, um, and software robots interacting with animals. I think, um, because I think, what about, let's say, putting robots in, in, in a um, school of animals or a single animals that get nerve or from the animals. So they can uh, interact with animals, get data from animals and also nerve from animals. So maybe after a while, their intelligence, their embodied intelligence is you know, changing or significantly change. We want to see these changes along with time. The more time they spend with the animals, maybe the, 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 the robot is more animized or <laughs> something like that. So yeah. I think well we can because we can do these experiments um, very simply because people are working on software robots, uh, you know, wearable software robots on humans. But there's a lot of animals in nature have much higher maneuverability. They're more powerful, you know, they're more um, good at schooling behaviors. So I think why don't we just let software robots interact with animals and see how their intelligence would change along with time. That's interesting. Can you be more specific? What kind of data do you think is more significant to you? The most significant data do you think that could help you from this behavior from animals? What could be, for example, fish? What could be the most significant data do you think you need to get? What kind of data do you want? Uh, 
I think the I think the most the basic is the videos. I think the videos and the kinematics we can see how the kinematics of the robot and of the robots and the animals uh, along with time. You know, we can connect those videos and using the image analysis software uh, because there are a lot of uh, very advanced software like Deep Lab Cat, so they can analyze the kinematics, a lot of data, and then we can, I think we can find some um, uh, maybe interesting themes inside of those big data. So I think that's something we can we can try. Yeah. And what could be the most important quality you have gained while being working now in academia and, and soft robotics? What could be the most important quality you have gained or you have to maintain as well for your academic journey? The most important. Yeah. Okay, so I think uh, I think the soft robotics is eventually, I, I, I think I imagine that a lot of soft robotics will go to applications, right? Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, there are now there are soft groupers uh, being commercialized. Uh, I hope that in the future, the more and more uh, soft robotics can be uh, can help the society and meet the societal uh, requirements. Um, and I think um, to me, I think it's um, to uh, do different uh, projects, you know, um, to help mm -hmm. to uh, get more bi-inspired design and, and incorporate more bi-inspired design into software robotics. Uh, I think that's my uh, personal um, thing, yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. And lastly, what the best advice maybe was given to you and was life changing? And also if you have advice for students later on who may be interested in software robotics, but first of all, what was the best advice was given to you? Uh, the best advice was given to you? Yeah. yeah, okay. Well, I think the best advice is, um, um, I would say um, uh, the software robotics is, is multidisciplinary fields. Uh, you know, always be humble and learn from others because you need to collaborate with people from different fields. So you should not only be yourself, but also uh, stand uh, or uh, sit on the position of other people and think about what we can do for their field and uh, how we can help them. For example, the material scientists, they want to test in the materials, um, you know, according to the software and demonstrating, making a demonstration, that's what, what they need to do. And we can help them. And during this collaboration, we can also learn new materials. So I think be open and also be collaborative is my suggestion to my students. That's really good advice. Thank you once again. And if you have any final words in this series you would like to say about, yeah, if you have any final words you would like to say. Do you have any final words? Would like to okay. Say? So uh, first I would like to thank you and thank this, uh, this uh, uh, community again for inviting me. And I think uh, I've been in this uh, uh, technical community for, for years. Uh, I've seen how the software robotics community has grown each year. I'm very happy and I hope that this community can be better and better in the future. And um, I hope everyone can be successful. It's an honor to have you on the podcast in this year. So thank you and wish for you all the best and success for more interesting projects. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you very much, Marva. Yeah. Thank you.